Welcome everybody to episode 10 of the Tales and Tunes podcast. Originally was going to have some of my good non-DJ friends on to talk bullshit and to celebrate the 10th episode by providing my own mix, but conflicting schedules have required us to postpone this for another episode or two. Instead, this week we have Paul Fleetwood as our guest, a Pittsburgh native, but currently lives in Denver. But as usual, we kick things off with B-Tsunami's number one track pick of the week. This week's pick is by an artist I've discovered fairly recently, and I actually played this track during my set at Paul Anthony's Wee Jack Techno Barbecue Party last Sunday. The track is entitled Smoke and Ashes by Pete Oak, and the release can be found on Tool Room Records. I want to 
podcast. Uh, my guest this week is originally from Pittsburgh, but relocated to Denver in 2013. He's been DJing for nearly 15 years now and is currently a resident and contributor to Denver's Great American Techno Festival. So without further ado, I welcome Paul Fleetwood to the podcast. Thanks for being here, Paul. Uh, thank, thanks for having me. Yeah, heck yeah. Paul is kind of a unique guest as uh, he's the first person I've had on who most of our interactions, which are pretty limited, have been via the internet. Uh, mm-hmm. Although we've Ten cha- minutes total, right? Yeah, yeah. Although we've chatted a few times at Milpar and Seth Nichols, uh, who was a previous guest on the podcast, uh, introduced us and recommended having you on and I, I generally uh, trust, trust his judgment, so. Cool. Yeah, he, <laughs> I, I trust his judgment as well, so. Heck yeah, man. <laughs> Have you done a podcast before? I've done a lot of podcasts. Actually, my first gig was a podcast for a radio show. So, oh, really? Yeah, I've done a lot of podcasts. Uh, interview podcasts, not so much mm-hmm. to my recollection. Uh, I've probably been asked questions before. Don't really remember. Um, interviews kind of weird me out, but I figure, <laughs> I don't know, some people might be interested in answers to these questions so yeah, we'll yeah. see <laughs> well, well we'll keep it loose man for okay sure. <laughs> so yeah how have you been man how's uh has summer summer officially started for you yeah um the weather here is is incredible uh by my standards so it's just been it's been really nice and uh i mean it feels like spring started three months ago to me even though it We'll get a blizzard every now and again. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, you know, the gigs have sort of gone through a surge, which I guess seems to happen when the weather starts to get nice. And, um, yeah, it's good. There's just a lot a lot to do, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a lot more to do, I think, Yeah, uh, coming soon. So, Do you go to the slopes? 
No, not yet. Not I've yet. been skiing for a long time, but um, it's just one of those things I haven't made time to do since I moved here. I've just... Like Red Rocks. Yeah, like Red Rocks and skiing. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, uh, I've just been prioritizing a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, but all in all in due time. I don't plan on being here for only a year, so... Yeah, yeah. How yeah. was that blizzard last weekend? I was I was actually in Daytona for that. Or you yeah. were gone too. I was gone you? too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's totally right. We... We picked the right weekend to go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I heard about the blizzard. I was actually in, in Mississippi, which was very non-blizzard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had returned uh, expecting snow, but it all melted in typical Colorado yeah, fashion. So. Super quick, yeah. yeah. Se- seven inches on, what, May 10th? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And gone the next day. Yeah, I, I love it. It was great. The sun was out when I got home. Yeah, exactly. Um so, yeah, you went to Community this year, right? I did. Uh, I actually even played Community this year. Oh, fuck yeah. So, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I've talked about it on the podcast a bunch, but Community was actually one of the first reasons, or was kind of the tipping point for me moving out here, because it was uh, 2010 or 11, I think. I was... Yeah, it was 2011. I was already toying with the idea of moving out here. Mm-hmm. But uh, was that the year Peking Lights played? Do you remember? Yes, it was. Uh, that, was that was my first community. I was oh, there. perfect! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, uh, that's a little parallels there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did a. I I throw a party in Iowa called Mission Beat every year as a part of the Mission Creek Festival, which is kind of a a festival on a smaller scale but kind of based off of like South by Southwest. Okay. And I do an electronic showcase for that and we did a uh, artist swap and I had uh David Last and Rob Fitzgerald who helps throw Community okay, come yeah. out to play in Iowa. Yeah, two good guys. Yeah, and then uh I met Kate uh, a few like a month before Kate Lesta who's one of the main people behind it uh, when I was out here skiing and Nice. Set it up and came out and played uh, at the festival. And after right after coming out and meeting everyone and experiencing it, I was like, "This is for sure happening now." And yeah. six months later, I found myself living out here. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, they uh, they have a great they have a a charming attitude. It's magnetic. It can be there's there's a lot of excitement that surrounds the festival. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and now it's over. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's what kills me that I wasn't there. I had a, a my girlfriend's uh stepbrother's wedding in iowa so we uh, couldn't yeah. miss it i mean all good things you know uh i don't think community style events are over so i'm not really bent out of shape about it you know yeah. things will will happen absolutely so. what what how'd you hear about it or what brought you out to it uh you know that is a little vague i know uh my my colleague from pittsburgh aaron clark and i came out in 2011 together and uh, I forget exactly how we found out about it. I think it was through our affiliation with VIA, which is a new media festival that started in Pittsburgh in 2010. Mm-hmm. And I think when that started, there was... Uh, in the became, same kind of light as... Yeah, it's... it's or more, yeah, more multimedia. Yeah, more multimedia, artsy, you know, okay. not purely music-based or music-based, but um, and that's when we sort of had to become we were on the uh the the founding board for the festival too so we had to become more aware of what was happening uh in that league sort of throughout the united states and elsewhere so i I think that's probably how we became aware of it and um yeah we just ended up coming out here and and visiting i i recall meeting kate for the first time in, in 2011 as well and it just you know everyone just sort of stayed in touch because you know 
she was super cool and we're super Is that cool. Your first time out here? <laughs> uh no, I've been visiting Colorado probably since as early somewhere around maybe 2005, 2006, maybe even earlier. Uh, I first um met Colorado people I would say maybe late 2004, 2005. I'd met them in Miami, though, for Winter Music Conference. Oh, okay. We had met online through Dance Music Board, which is a popular message board here, and they were organizing a trip to Miami, and that was the first time I met some Colorado people in person, and there was uh, just uh, a, a relationship that had formed between two cliques, in, you know, one in Pittsburgh and one in Colorado, and it just was sort of a distant bond that formed, and we would visit each other's cities throughout the years, and... That ultimately led to me seeing Denver as a place to move whenever mm. I I felt inclined to. So, word. So yeah, been a long, Same. a long, ongoing relationship with Denver that really became a lot more personal <laughs> in yeah. 2013. So awesome, man. Have you been to Gemini? I have been to Gemini. I went to Gemini for the first time last year. Oh, it was the first time last year. Yeah, it was. There was a lot of conflict going on with me with, with that party because it was a great party and especially the land and everything. You know, ideally that's, you know, really an amazing event. It was still good, but it was just, you know, cold as fuck out. It and was I was cold. it was very painful. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was not prepared for that at all. So it was sort of a battle. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really fun. I I'm glad I went, but uh, yeah, I remember you know, the weather was. Sweater. I wore like four layers until I put like, every layer of clothing I had on. Even and, the sun yeah. was out. And I'm like, I'm loving this heat yeah. now. Finally, it's beating down. Oh yeah, as soon as that sun came up, of course, <laughs> you know, everyone started to sweat. But. Yeah, and just for uh, listeners who don't uh, or haven't heard of Gemini or know what that is, it's a uh, kind of a little private gathering that uh, the people who uh, throw community do up uh, Left Hand Canyon. Just really maximum 200 people really tight one nighter just really really good house and techno beautiful land out there yeah. I've, uh you know maybe never have gotten a chance to be in that type of mountain wilderness before and mm-hmm. i you know i really enjoy being out there yeah do you know if it's happening this year because I've, I've been here i heard rumors that it wasn't yeah that's, uh that's you know that general rumor yeah that's not firsthand so yeah you know i can't testify you know, on the book or whatever, but, um, yeah, supposedly they might not have access to land to do the party at, and maybe it's not happening. Oh. That's the impression I have at the moment, but we'll see. Gotcha. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'd have to say summer's officially uh, fucking started for me two weeks ago, so it would have been the first weekend in May. Uh, there was this private little... Uh, gathering out uh near fruta which fruta is near grand junction mm-hmm. so this venue was it's about 10 miles from the border of utah and colorado and it was uh it was primarily like a a, a side trance kind of gathering but okay. w- one of the nights they dedicated to house and techno the first night and uh they had a really nice turbo sound system out there oh good and uh i got to play from two three to four how was, was the reception for house and techno if it was primarily a go or a side trance party it, it was well received because really it was a family gathering i mean there it was it was very very kind of small invite only i think there was a hundred people there maximum and it, it was a total renegade spot that uh the guy who throws it um and owns the sound system it's uh just this crazy spot it's like on this plateau and uh 
it, the trees are like they look like giant pieces of broccoli, and they're they're slightly taller they're than delicious. you. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's like it's kind of like the, it's definitely sand and desert, and I, I guess people saw like scorpions out there and stuff. But, okay, but super beautiful. Like you could actually like see Utah from where we were standing, and cool. And it was just it was super cool. And actually, at one point, because it's really just you know on like public land. On on Sunday morning, we were you know we were partying at the main stage and. Uh, like these three dirt bikers like pulled up in full regalia like full suits and helmets and yeah. they just and they're like what the hell is this yeah. <laughs> like they just yeah. rolled in and see all these people all waving at them and shit nice and they uh yeah they pulled up in front of the stage they only hung out for like five minutes but then they did like wheelies and took off like just just of said course, bye yeah. Yeah. but it was just had to be so trippy for them just to like roll upon like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, for sure. Or possibly trippy for some of the attendees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> trippy on both ends. <laughs> but yeah, that so that was the yeah, and that was a full moon, so it was super, super awesome. And and then this past weekend I was in Daytona Beach because my uh my younger brother, he just graduated from Embry Riddle uh with uh pilot school. And oh, good friend. uh yeah, so my whole family was down there. We got a badass spot on uh on the ocean 19th floor super cool uh was swimming in the ocean and uh i was actually snapchatting a bunch of people because i mean i flew to daytona the day it started snowing on saturday so they're like we have seven inches and i'm like i've got freaking sunshine and sand between my toes yeah and i that came to bite me in the ass because i i broke my toe (laughs) in the ocean nice work here i'll show you the fucking bruise i was buddy boarding yeah, that looks painful, man. And I just tried to catch a wave, and I kicked the ground. So your toe's broken. Aren't you supposed to put, like, a splint on that or something? Yeah, I have been. Like but a, it, it feels better when it's... It's like masking tape-looking things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did for... And I actually worked today. Yeah. Oh, good. So that was fucking painful, but they gave me a half day. But, so yeah, that was this weekend, and then fucking next weekend we're going to... Tipper at Red Rocks, and they're bringing a Function One sound system out there. Got a bunch of friends from Iowa coming into town. Uh, Alex Gray is doing live painting. Oh, okay. And uh, Luzine's opening, as well as Ott is opening. Oh, is it all all on Saturday? It's all on Saturday. So that'll be cool. And then uh, Sunday is uh, We Jack Barbecue. Paul Anthony's throwing a a two-stage barbecue party. It's... uh, he has uh, Woody McBride and Ter- oh, yeah. Terry Mullen. That's coming on in. Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I, I'm playing at that one as well. Terry Mullen. I think he lived in Pittsburgh recently for a couple of years. Unless I'm getting him confused with Terry Francis. I think it was Terry Mullen. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that'll be cool. They're giving. Uh, yeah, let people know that it's. I think it's like ten bucks to get in or something, and they're giving free burgers and uh, bacon wrap hot dogs all day. So. That'll be a good fucking party on Sunday. And then the following weekend is the the big one of the summer, uh, Detroit. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And uh, are, are you going this year? Yeah, 100%. Fuck yeah. I'm really, really excited. How many have you been before? Yeah, uh, I can't exactly tell you how many times I've been before. I think my earliest one was 2003. Mm-hmm. I think that was the first time I went. And I went another time around there, which might have been 04 or 05, and then I can't remember what years, or, you know, up until I definitely went 2009, I remember more acutely after that. Yeah. You know, so I went to... Yeah, they really start to bleed together. (laughs) Yeah, over that period of time, too. I mean, like I told you earlier, I mean, my, 
you know, memory's not very good. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you know, when I try to remember my past and things, they definitely bleed together. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, this being your X amount of years, uh, what's what's your game plan or plan of attack this year? Well, uh, I've decided to experiment with not getting a festival pass this year. However, um, a good friend of mine from Pittsburgh who uh, is an amazing artist has got booked to play made a Detroit stage on Monday. So oh, I sick. think at the very least, I'm definitely going to get a ticket to see that. What's his name? Uh, Sean Rudiman. And uh, uh, he's a live performer. He's very good. And it's just been... He's been performing for a really long time in Pittsburgh for years. Much longer than I've been been in the whole game mm-hmm. or whatever. So we're, we're all really excited to see him play. Cool. And uh, so I'm definitely going to make it to the festival to see him play. And, you know, a lot of our friends are going to be there, too, so mm-hmm. it's going to be a blast. But, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to take this year from a different perspective. Um, there's so much to do, and I always like to think that I can do most of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm always very tired, uh, you know, and cranky. I, so I think uh, I'm going to save a little bit of money, you know, sleep in, get some good meals and not really rush around during the day. Definitely go to industry brunch on Sunday. I mean, the... I mean, go to the after parties, of course. I'd, I'd like to go record shopping probably Saturday mm-hmm. during the days when I'll do that. Uh, but um, Monday, I'm sorry, Sunday night following in the Monday is just going to be like the gauntlet. I mean, one of my favorite parties, No Way Back, is is Sunday night. Uh, that's also the same night as a big interface party at the works with oh, yeah. a lot of artists that I want to see that Blank Code is doing. Uh, but No Way Back is really special uh, for me. And... Uh, that is kind of going to run right into an industry brunch, which happens Monday morning. Um, and Sean, I believe, is also playing that and some other uh, friends that I've made throughout the United States. And uh, so I'm kind of gravitate towards the the uh, friends and family events, which also happen to be what I'm looking forward to musically. And I think Monday is Club Toilet, which is uh, more of a... Um, of a, a very sexually themed party, but also going to be very fun. Um, and then after after Club Toilet, what the hell is that's Monday, and then the anthology party mm-hmm. um, that Dirty Epic is, is throwing at the works with, I don't know, it's like 10, 10 artists that I want to see. And then then Monday morning I, I get up or I or I stay awake and I take a train and go to Montreal. And oh, go, you're going go to Mutech? Yeah. So, that dude, we've, so, been, yeah. we've been talking about that for years. That would be like it's really so fantastic to, to go to do both. Just like it's, Yeah, it's 130 up. bucks a train ride from Windsor to Montreal. That's pretty reasonable. Uh, yeah, and then from, from there I take a, a plane from Montreal after Mutech to Pittsburgh. And then I'm in Pittsburgh for a week to see my friends and family and I play Hot Mass on June 6th. So really starting... Next yeah, weekend, you're, yeah, it's you're just so- going to be like... <laughs> you're in the same boat I am. I'm going to try to... Yeah, it will be... Just don't break your toe. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm going to try not to break anything, including my mind, hopefully. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it will, be, it will be an experience, I yeah. hope. So. <laughs> Who's at Mutech this year? Any any notable people? Uh, you know, I, I looked at like four or five live acts, which are nothing new, but like, you know, I love Adam TM. I love Dan Bell. He's playing his DBX. Dasha Rush, I believe, is playing live. Um, Andy Stott's playing live. Cobblestone Jazz uh, playing live. There's just a lot of live sets, and there's, you know, two handfuls more that 
I can't think of at the moment that mm-hmm. it's just a really well curated <clears throat> event and Montreal's a a charming city it's it's beautiful there and it's much uh I don't want to say slower paced probably slower paced but it it has a different vibe than Detroit for sure mm-hmm. and um I've only been there once in 2011 so I'm really excited to go back if you haven't been there it oh, would I give really you a really fresh Perspective. That's what that's what like Communiki was kind of based off of. Wasn't yeah, it? uh, it's thing. a little smaller, very, very finely tuned, um, well curated, very professional. Feel it feels uh, not to be demeaning, but it feels you know more of like an adult sort of party. Yeah. And by that I mean people aren't really, from what I my recollection, don't go too crazy there. They don't like make a lot of noise. It's definitely not as American, and I mean that in both the good and the bad ways mm-hmm. you know what i mean but uh it's it's really cool in it in its own special way uh so i'm i'm really stoked it's going to be a nice juxtaposition and i think the few days leading up to the, the following weekend i'll be able to recover from detroit yeah, yeah so was was that the year 2011 was that the year that uh amon tobin was there no. or was it the year uh that uh, ICAM thing? What was it? Not ICAM. I forget. I ISAM. ISAM. Yeah, yeah. Was I that or, or was DJ that... Sprinkles played? Richie Houghton was doing his Plastic Man thing. Um, Wasn't was it? Uh... Yeah, I mean that. This was 2011. He he definitely did the thing in 2011. And now I'm drawing a blank as to who else was there, which is really kind of embarrassing. I saw Daniel Tate play live, who was really good. He was one part of Cobblestone Jazz, along with Matthew Johnson, I yeah. believe. Um, but uh, yeah it's really cool I mean the the city itself was a reason to visit for mm-hmm. me as well so um, yeah Deep Court had played but uh, yeah they were at uh, Lunar Lodge this last year <laughs> yeah which I missed I haven't been to Lunar Lodge yet so that's something <laughs> and that I can't go I've to that meeting. one this year unfortunately yeah <laughs> I'm so sad yeah no that's so you know Colorado has a lot of really good staple <clears throat> outdoor parties I mean Colorado's outdoor aspect really—that's mm-hmm. a huge benefit to being here. Yeah, and the, sure. I mean the freedom. Like, there's just so many places if you—I mean, you know—or go look to to do renegade parties. Like, where mm-hmm. where I come from, it's impossible to fucking do that. Like, you yeah. can't you can't just go down a road and someone someone will call the cops. Like, it will be heard. But out out in the mountains, there's so many pockets. Yeah, if you could find the and land it's, it's and the way property. More and beautiful, too, than anywhere I agree. in Iowa. I agree. It does <laughs> take a little bit more planning and commitment, for sure, especially from the audience members. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little bit more difficult getting the numbers out there. But, yeah. you know, people out here are a little bit more used to it than, you know, say, Cleveland. But, yeah. I mean, unless you're talking... Back in back whenever people really when raves were kind of new and mm-hmm. it was really exciting, people like did like to travel and camp. Now it's you know it's tough getting people out. But mm-hmm. all right, we'll uh, just switch gears here a little bit. Um, so you're originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, and how long did you live there? Were you born there? I was born there, and I lived there for 32 years until 2013, which is when I moved here, right up till the very end. I moved here in November of 2013. Oh, okay. Well, so, what was what's Pittsburgh like, or what was Pittsburgh is great, and I I really started like it more and more the longer I was there. Um, yeah, I really just developed a good friend base there. You know, my oldest friends were there, people who I trust, and 
have the the oldest memories with obviously you know uh my mom's there family's there um so i i grew attached to it i went through a phase probably in high school where everywhere else seemed you know way more exotic and things and you know i went to college at a at a school out of maybe like an hour outside of pittsburgh and uh i don't know i just it just really started to grow and um you know i've been doing events and things there long enough to where that never really faltered. There was always something that's what really kept me there and kept me interested. Mm-hmm. So um, it was good. I I definitely like Pittsburgh a lot. I mean, I love it. You know, mm-hmm. that's still my home. I mean, you know, 32 years versus a year and a half, it, you know, I still feel like a guest here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So, Big Steelers fan? Yeah, I mean... I'm not the hugest You're sports biased. fan. Yeah, I don't yeah. get like, you know, really bent out of shape about it. But you know, of course, like the Steelers and the Penguins and the Pirates, those are my mm-hmm. home teams. So, but you know, now I'm in Colorado. I'm going to root for the Broncos and the Avs as well. But you know, there's, you know, the teams from the town I was born in, and yeah, then all yeah. other teams. Yeah, for so sure. Just I, kind of my association. Lo- my loyalty is 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 with home. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> understandable. Yeah. Uh, well, what's the dance music scene like out there? Uh, it's it's very it's good. It's small. Um, How big is Pittsburgh? First off, you know what? That's something I really need to Google because people have asked me that so many times since I moved you here, Google and I that, don't have dude. a number. Yep. <laughs> we'll get it. <laughs> but because uh, I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, the dance music scene, uh, especially, you know, there there was. Rave started to get popular in the 90s, right? And that was huge. And I, that was huge all across the Midwest, mm-hmm. especially all across America and everywhere else. And then that bubble burst. And in the early 2000s, things really shrunk and things really started to change. The, the, the laws and things prevented those parties from happening. Adults were aware of that kind of thing and they didn't want it to happen. And then we started to turn 21 and things moved to the clubs. And then we wanted this music to persist so we started doing things in the only places we could get spaces at which were bars with small weird uncomfortable rooms that were rock venues and you know so for a long time it was just small and you know we were struggling to keep things going and people were doing really good things we're still really good people but the awareness and the interest throughout the city it 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 felt like we just rebooted Mm -hmm. you know and some people remained from the previous era, and other people left. They moved to other music genres or whatever they did. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we just started to build along with others. And it took us ten years, but you know, it finally got to be really good. And uh, a, a lot of that happened um, around 2010. Uh, we started a monthly at this. You know, this is just from my perspective, yeah, too. Yeah. There, there were things happening all around the city that uh, other people uh, took part in. And, um, you know, the rave scene sort of split. The rave scene kind of remained the rave scene, and that turned, that morphed into the the this, the EDM sort of dubstep scene. <coughs> and that is almost is like a clean break from the the really dedicated house and techno people. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Who predominantly do parties and clubs and things like that and we ended up getting a venue um i'm sorry that monthly i mentioned was at a place called belvedere's 
which is just a an awesome come as you are type of bar. It's you know uh, they really helped us out, and that was a pretty good event series. And when we were doing an event series there, we stumbled across um, a place called Club Pittsburgh, and um, we were able to. There were Trevor and our friends Trevor and Jordette. They that is essentially a gay bathhouse, right? So a lot of after parties would happen there. And uh, we figured out we would be able to do a one-off. I, I believe we, ho- we had um, Kirk DiGiorgio play at our main party at Belvedere's, and then we had him play an after-hour set at this Club Pittsburgh joint. And, you know, he was 10 times better at the after-hours joint. The music he played, the vibe, it was really the right size. We could go all night. Management was cool. Um, and that turned into a regular thing, you know. And then um, my crew, Humanot, uh, we joined forces with uh, Trevor and Georgette and some of the people who did things at Club Pittsburgh, the manager there. And then it sort of became a committee and then it morphed into hot mass. And now that's a weekly thing that happens every Saturday and sometimes on Fridays. And that has been the most successful thing that we've done to date and that that right now for me that is the the haven for the music that i like in pittsburgh and that's gaining notoriety beyond the you know what we ever thought we could accomplish cool. you know uh so so that's still going on then it's still the going on mess yeah that, aaron, is that aaron, what you're going back for here yeah i'm playing that on june 6th aaron is is you know he was always you know our main idea man and he spearheaded a lot of things he is very energetic, and uh, it was easy for me to back him up on his ideas because he's you know very passionate about what he does, and uh, um, he's taking the lead on that along with other crews throughout the city. Pittsburgh Track Authority has a night there. Um, uh, Kiord has a night there. A guy named Jared Tebbets and his wife Nicole. Uh, they're really cool. Uh, and the Humanot, who Aaron is also a part of, does a night there. Uh, it's just. Um, Something the city really needed, which was a good uh, after hours spot to where we can uh, host this music and, and enjoy it in, in the right environment. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the venue was like uh, a godsend to us. It, mm-hmm. The venue made everything happen. And, of course, you know, we were we had the capability to do, thing in that, do things in that venue, but luckily we had been doing events for 10 years. So, anyway, I didn't mean to get off on that oh, no sort worries. of tangent, but that... You know, when I think about the Pittsburgh dance music scene, you know, Obvious is a crew. They've done a lot of bass-oriented music. Via as well, who the festival that I mentioned before, they do. Uh, they have a much broader spectrum of, um, you know, very interesting and, and mindful and artful music as well. They compromise the Pittsburgh scene. But I have such a personal relationship to Hot Mass. That's the first thing I think of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's what I would tell anyone... If they couldn't, if they couldn't do all those other things, not to miss uh, the party there, and mm-hmm. uh, so uh, you know that's something I I had to kind of deal with giving up by by leaving. But mm-hmm. you know, there are still my family there. So. Yeah. Well, that that's yeah. another cool thing though is like coming home every time is a fucking celebration. Like I guarantee, probably every time you go back to Pittsburgh, they, they, there's a party you're playing at. Yeah, right? you know, uh, I definitely get better time slots now that. <laughs> When I when I visit now, but uh, it really is, and it, it's, it's like a reunion when you come back when you do a show there. I mean, yeah, I get I'm, that similar thing. I'm still in getting Iowa. used to it. You know, I was there last July, so uh, you know, it just 
it's really special and it's still fresh. Me me moving is still a little fresh. You know, I've mm-hmm. gotten used to the fact that I don't live there anymore, but it's still yeah. it's taken me a while to acclimate, you know, thirty two years, like I said. Yeah. So uh yeah, it's 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 pretty wild. But um yeah, uh Pittsburgh is good. I'd oh, yeah. I'd recommend it. What what was what was the year that, that was that started at that? Pittsburgh I'm thinking that at Hot Mass uh, Club Pittsburgh. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. neighbors have got fucking Bu- killing her to Buffalo upstairs. upstairs. <laughs> you want a quick note? Yeah, yeah Pittsburgh Pitt- population. Pittsburgh is uh, surprisingly only three hundred six thousand uh, uh, people, and the reason for it though is because uh, they haven't like most big cities uh, annex their uh, suburbs. Pittsburgh hasn't uh, moved their boundaries since 1907. Yeah, it's still so just the city like, of Pittsburgh. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Uh, the area itself is actually uh, over 2.6 million 2. 6 people. Million. So it's like so in it's it's a little bit smaller than uh, the Denver and mm-hmm. surrounding area because mm-hmm. um, well, Denver's growing at I think they said 100,000 a a, ma- a year. I think they're uh, growing a hundred thousand a year or some some shit. I heard. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. You can Google it. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know the numbers that I've heard, and you know, you can tell by the traffic how much the traffic has changed simply in the year that I've been here. Mm-hmm. It's been. Uh, I've noticed a stark difference. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess that's good as long as the city is able to grow, and I'm sure it's going to level out too. Yeah. So that's 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 another thing nice about Colorado is like the surrounding area of the city is just open flatness. I mean, where well, you hit the mountains, yeah, but still, like every other area is like it's not like there's stuff yeah. in the way. And we're gonna have to deal with it regardless. You yeah, know? there's a lot of people belly aching about it, but it's like you know, mm-hmm. what are you gonna do? That belly aching's not gonna stop people from moving here. So yeah, for sure. All right, well, we'll. I want to get a little mo- bit more into Pittsburgh and, and whatnot, but uh, let's rewind a little bit. Uh, go back to your uh, childhood and growing up and shit. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, What uh, growing up, what kind of, how was your childhood or what kind of stuff were you into growing up? Dude, yeah, it's my childhood and everything. There is no story to tell at all. It is just as boring as can be. Uh, <laughs> you know, I started growing up. I guess in in the north side of Pittsburgh, which I guess is like a city neighborhood. Parents split up. I moved out of there, I don't know, a few years in. I was like five or something. Um, my dad remained there, so I would still visit and, and hang out and ride bikes and, and stuff around downtown. But, uh, you know, predominantly I, I grew up in the suburbs and, uh, you know, I went to an elementary school till eighth grade. and I went to, it was all Catholic. I went to Catholic schools pretty much. Yeah, the, I was born and Catholic. Yeah. Not school, but. Born. Yeah, same. Com- confirmed. Yeah, so everything. I went to Catholic <laughs> elementary school, you know, and I went to a Catholic high school. It was an all-guy school, suit and tie, you know, whatever. All-guys school? Yeah, it was all... All, all high all, school? Yeah, four years, Holy freshman. Shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I still interacted with females. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> my, my friends, you know, I had uh, some friends from North Catholic, which was co-ed, and you know, it was weird. There's Oakland Catholic. I went to Central Catholic, and Oakland Catholic was the sister school. So there's an all-girls school a few blocks down. I don't think I knew a single girl from that school, though. <laughs> um, I mean, it was a city school, so I had all sorts of people from all over, not many people from my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I don't know. High school was weird. But, uh, yeah, then I went to college. That was also a Catholic school. And then in college is, you know, whenever my music taste was still pretty bad. Uh, and then it started to change. I mean, I'm not saying it's good now. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. 
but uh, and then my early 20s, it wasn't until after I left college, probably, you know, I was definitely in to rave music at that time because, you know, I've been, you know, going to parties and whatever. But uh, usually, I mean, it's in high school, people wanted me to, to drive the parties because I, you know, I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs or anything like that. And all the people wanted to party, and I, they would just want me there so I can keep them safe. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, uh, yeah, and then it just kind of grew from there, little by little. Um, what kind of stuff were you into, like, in, like, high, were you in sports, or did, or no, I, did you play instruments, or? No, no, I played guitar up until I got into uh, DJing and shit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, I probably played guitar up until 1996, I would say. It's from like fifth grade up until 96, um, which would have been my sophomore year of high school. Okay. Uh, Maybe you don't mind me asking how old are you now? No, I'm 33. 33? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll be 34 in September. Oh, right on. So. Yeah, well, so what kind of music were you into like in high school? High school, I was still into a lot of rock music, a lot of... Um, I liked a lot of heavy stuff. I liked a lot of not heavy stuff. You know, at that point, anything that had an electronic influence immediately was appetizing to me. Um, those sounds just sounded fresh. You know, looking back now, it's some really cheesy stuff. <laughs> you know, like Gravity Gravity Kills and, um, you know, most of the bands at that time that were popular used some type of electronic influence. And, uh, you know, Nine Inch Nails, of course, you know, um, all sorts of bands. But... Uh, yeah, um, that never really left me, but you know when I discovered the more purely electronic stuff, and that has been a long road, a mm-hmm. really long road as to where I am now versus what I like then. Mm-hmm. I mean, my filter was wide open then, especially my uh, first year of college. I just, you know, Napster hit everyone, and I was just downloading everything. So there wasn't really a genre that I wouldn't listen to. Mm. And I liked, I still like everything. You know what I mean? I just kind of oh, yeah. started to slowly filter out certain things over time. So I'm not one of those guys who has been listening to the coolest, most realist, authentic techno. You know, I kind of went backwards. I listened, like my first records, I bought techno records, quote unquote. You know, I bought UK Hardhouse records. I loved a lot of trance records. You know what I mean? Back then... You know, even DJ Tiesto, I liked a lot of his mixes. He did this Magic mm-hmm. series. And at the time, those were really cool to me. You know, all of this stuff was new to me. Uh, the people I were around, I was around, they liked everything too. They didn't, they weren't music snobs about anything really then. You know, even Boards of Canada, who have stayed with me, Tiesto has not stayed with me, but Boards <laughs> of Canada were really good, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it was just one of those things, you know, so I've been, the longer, the older I've, been getting the the uh, uh, I don't know the more to the roots style music I've kind of grown into and you know like I said I've been pretty lazy so uh, it it takes me a long time to discover artists that people have known about and talk about every day for like mm-hmm. the past 30 years um, so you know I'm not an authority at all and I'd never pretended to be you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And most of the techno guys, especially around the late 2000s when I started to play what would be considered a little bit more classic or more of a an actual techno sound, I mean, I was I was just despised by most of those guys because I had been playing progressive house for like four or five years and, you know, I was just this 
this young new promoter whatever kid and you know they they didn't want to teach me like there were there was actually one guy who did adam ratana who's you know part of pittsburgh track authority now he he was definitely kinder than most i uh but um you know and those guys still who i know still there's guys who they i'm friends with but they they don't acknowledge my me artistically at all yeah it's just just the way it is and you know whatever yeah (laughs) i don't care (laughs) yeah i mean it's fine i mean you know they uh they they could be right in their world they are right you know yeah so so napster was kind of how you just just the ability to download whatever was kind of how you got into electronic that well that definitely helped with my learning phase because i really had a voracious appetite at the time that came out so an audio galaxy too i remember getting an audio galaxy and it was just like i would just download everything and uh that just helped me learn about a lot of stuff now um well and then and um it helped it definitely helped because i did not have the bank account to buy all the albums that i stole (laughs) just straight up you know now it's kind of weird like now I have some money and I like buying albums now and I like getting high quality files and the album artwork and all that shit. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, uh, Napster was definitely a tool that that certainly helped for mm-hmm. sure. So what was your first party then? Oh geez, um, first party had to have been somewhere around 1999, maybe 98, 2000 somewhere. I can I can tell you parties that I do remember that are early on. Mm-hmm. There was I think there were actually actually by that time you know all of the early raves in the nineties I hadn't gone to. You know I was too much of the I didn't break a lot of rules. I wasn't out all night partying and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I would have gone busted instantly. It's just I couldn't be out all night like that. So I didn't discover stuff until a lot of times it was in nightclubs in Pittsburgh by that time like by like 98 even pop music at that time there was a lot of industrial a lot of dance stuff happened in the nightclubs then um, that was not hip hop at all you know Mm -hmm. and uh, there was a night called Atomic which I believe was on Thursdays and I remember going to that and that might have been like late 98 I think and uh, then there was a night at Laga which was called Groove and these were all ages shows you know anyone can go there so that's that's really what helped, and then there were just raves all the time, uh, you know, uh, up until probably about two thousand two thousand one, there was a rave twice a week, at the very least, you know, thousands of people, and I don't know which one of those was my first one. Rave in a cave, actually, there are tunnels outside of Pittsburgh, a couple hours away, road tunnels that were shut down. That was one of the earlier ones that I went to that oh, I wow. remember clearly, just because it was an experience, you know. So it was in a in a tunnel, they put the sound system at one end of the tunnel, and people drove up and they parked their cars. That's actually where I met Adam Ratana, who was playing. They called it intelligent drum and bass at the time. Um, you know, it wasn't hard, dark, you know, Raga Jungle or anything like that. But mm-hmm. he was the guy who I really. It was the first time I heard drum and bass that I liked, and I met him, and then we kept in touch. And then he became interested in a lot of different styles of music. Uh, house and techno and you know he's part of Pittsburgh Track Authority now I just weird uh, thinking that that's one of my earliest experiences in it. but um, but yeah that's that was probably it um, 
there there was just a lot of stuff that happened and it's all really vague. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds pretty so, badass though. It, stuff fucking it was very free, time. you know what I mean? Like you felt like as kids you could do anything you wanted and especially at these parties, you could do whatever you wanted. Mm-hmm. So uh I mean there was like a loose etiquette, obviously people um had morals to some degree and you know it was easy to avoid the bs i'm sure there were some rougher cities that they got a little bit more dangerous but i mean i don't know we got in we got out we had a great time and <laughs> you know that's it totally what made you want to pursue djing as soon as i found out what djing actually was <laughs> there was a while where i thought djs were i thought they were all playing live up there i thought they were all uh playing the music like a live instrument I didn't realize they were just they were buying songs and playing them and then mixing them together and as soon as I found out that that's all they were doing I knew I could do that <laughs> uh, that was something that I was confident in I was confident enough in the music that I liked to where I knew I could make choices and that other people would like them too or at least I thought I did mm-hmm. you know and so it sounded very easy very natural to me there was no question in my mind that's what I wanted to do. It was instantaneous. And then as soon as I found that out, there was a guy, my friend Will McLaughlin, we worked at the Carnegie Science Center together, and he helped show me just the basic fundamentals of what a DJ did, what equipment they used. And, you know, we looked at through some magazine, I forget what it was, like uh, pro, some pro sound magazine. And, you know, then I just saved up for six months and bought two turntables and a mixer. And then, you know, I was a clueless idiot for two years. And <laughs> and that was 2001 then? Yeah, that was 2001 when I ordered that stuff. Cool. Yeah. So were you, you pretty much self-taught then? Or did you yeah, I mean, there's there? people who showed me um, like what to do, but it just came down to practicing and mm-hmm. then just kind of learning, you know. Uh, there are definitely people who gave tips and advice and things like that, but it was really just, it was just a time sink. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it was fun. It was never not fun because buying records and then playing records and then, you know, as selfish as this is, when you're DJing, have those represent your selection and who you are. You're really riding off of the production skill of the person who made the record. And mm-hmm. that made me feel really good because I really like these records I was buying. Yeah. So, and even early then, like, I didn't realize how bad I was train wrecking. I mean, <laughs> it sounded... I mean, I, I heard it, but, you know, my ear wasn't, um, tuned and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't until I got better that I realized how bad I was, you know? Oh yeah. So. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how long after that did you play your first gig? You said it was a, a podcast? Uh, yeah, it was 2003. 2003? Yeah. I met a, a guy, Leandro, in a record store called Future Sounds, and uh, he was very outgoing, and and we met, and we we liked the same style of music. That was whenever I was moving away from a hard house and trance and all that stuff, and um, playing more progressive house things like stuff. I really started to go more towards a repetitive hypnotic sort of thing, and that was just sort of a next step. Mm-hmm. You know, I, techno I believe was still too hardcore repetitive for me mm-hmm. uh, I, it wasn't as attractive to me you know just given where I started so Prague House was was where it was you know it was like dark and mysterious and you know I was young and gullible so mm-hmm. uh, 
Yeah, so, so he knew a guy named Karim who, st- who still does this dub mission show. Uh, really good guy, great taste in music. Um, WYEP, I think, uh, I forget the, the radio, it was like 93.1 maybe. But uh, I actually have a recording of it. So we, oh, really? we went on and we played live at 3 in the morning. He and I played together. We each played like an hour set or something like that. And then, uh, yeah, I had my mom record it on tape at home. So I on, and I took the tape, tape and then <laughs> and then digitized you it. Had so a yeah, tape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a mixtape. tape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> uh, what was the scene like when you were starting to get involved? Then uh, it that was after all the raves had pretty much turned to shit, mm-hmm. and um, it was all in small bars, uh, nightclubs. Couldn't do things in big nightclubs anymore. That was when you know rap had really taken over. They were all became top forty hip hop and rap. And um, my next gig after that, I remember, was at a Monday night called Revolve, and that was at a place called uh, Z Lounge, which became Zythos. And that was one of the few havens for dance music. They had an upstairs, and they would book DJs. And a guy named John Bromage booked me, who's an older, uh, older guy, um, into music uh, longer than I've been. Um, and yeah, it, it was just gigs like that forever shitty gigs at bars and in nightclubs and attendances with you know 30 people 30 40 people yeah you know i had opened for dj assault at this place called chemistry and uh you know it's just it was good though because i wasn't good enough to be playing in front of a bunch of people anyway but i was still able to get gigs because i kept playing and you know i wasn't a jerk and I just kept any opportunity I could get, I would just play. So mm-hmm. uh, just, I just, I still do the same thing now. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't really changed. Yeah. Cool, man. Uh, yeah, so how'd you get involved or when did, did you form a crew or did, were you getting a crew together? And- yeah. Um, 2004, I think, was the first time I joined a crew. And it was a large crew. It was called Digital Good Time. And Aaron Clark actually was in that crew. Uh, back then, I met a lot of my friends uh, that I still have now through that crew. But uh, like many crews, you know, they they were irresponsible. Their priorities were out of whack. Some people in the crew uh, were more responsible than others. And you know, after being in a crew and it doesn't do so hot, and you don't really respect the leadership in that crew, uh, you want to get out. And the people who, like Aaron and Mike Hanlon, who's uh, Philo. Um, and a couple of other friends, we started a crew, broken off of that, much smaller, called Night Vision, and then we did a night at a place called Muse, and uh, that started very small. And um, at the same time as that was building, as we were doing that, there was a guy, Steve Simpson, um, who did more, uh, he did like dance events at this place called Chinatown Inn, and he did them on holidays. He did a lot of big holiday parties, and he had great attendance. And um, you know, we eventually linked up with him. Um, and when we linked up with him, he had a, he was a really good promoter. He was really smart with his money. He um, was a good guy. You know what I mean? He partied, but he also was very responsible toward his parties. And we linked up with him, and then we kind of shed people from our respective groups because we really wanted to take it pro. Mm. And that's when we became Hunot. And I think that was in 2005, actually. I think. 2005, 2006. Right 
and uh, teamed up with him, and then and then we became known for doing uh, the humanoid parties, which are really there. Our biggest ones were the holiday parties at the Chinatown Inn, Halloween, New Year's. You know, we were getting attendances. Uh, our highest attendances were six hundred some odd people, which was enormous. Like I think. Mm-hmm. I think Thanksgiving weekend we booked like Luke Fair or something at one of the bigger nightclubs. Because uh, by that time we started to get better and more mature and we had clout. And, uh, you know, that was good. Um, you know, like I said, we were, at that time we were, it was like Tech House was really big. Mm-hmm. We were doing kind of like this Tech House. Prog- it was really like a progression of what Progressive House was. And, um, you know, it just was a very slow incline of maturity. And then uh, it just became what we are now i guess humanoid still exists but oh cool it's two guys back in pittsburgh aaron and ben who are just running hot mass really or helping to run hot mass oh gotcha so yeah uh how how has your style of djing changed over the years uh, and what have been like the major influences um technically how i mix is the same uh i would just say it's a little bit more refined because i've been doing it longer mm-hmm. uh i'm definitely much less of a tight ass about it. However, I'm still more of a tight ass than most of my 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 peers. Um, my I believe that every year my taste in music just gets a little bit better. And uh, you know, like I said, I'm I can be a slow learner. You know, I I don't I don't know. Uh, it's just I I just feel like I I I get more mature over time. And I feel that I make better decisions more often over time. And that's really it. And it's been so gradual. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm not like a natural talent. Like, it's just taken me a long time to get to an adequate level of DJing. People mm. have always said I've been good and this and that. But I think people say that about any, any everybody. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, but I've just always cared very much. And um, I, you know, just trying to still just... DJ and get better, I guess. So there really isn't any clear distinction of how how I've changed or anything like that other than music selection. You know, back in 2002, I played UK Hard House. Now I play what I would consider to be techno. Mm -hmm. You know, some more hardcore guys who who are into some serious, you know, Detroit stuff, they'll say I don't play techno. But, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah. So, Do you still... Do you still play vinyl primarily, or what's your kind of yeah? Well, prefer, that's a, preferred that, method. Yeah, of... that's a little bit actually. Yeah, that that's a great point. Um, I played vinyl up until CDGA started to take over, and I was probably the last guy. I didn't want to change. I liked, you know, playing vinyl, but uh, probably around 2006 is whenever CDGA started to really take off around mm-hmm. my area, and um, guys were just playing the records that I would order that day and they were playing them for $3 and I was spending $11. And, yeah, and wait. You know, I, I would wait a week and a half for my records to show up and they would get to play them that Saturday. You know what I mean? And so they're a lot heavier. I, yeah, I, yeah, they're a lot heavier. Uh, you know, and it, by that time, everyone had been playing records for so long, it wasn't like a special vintage thing like it is now. So um, it was... It definitely came off more of like a pain in the ass, even though they were still really cool. Um, but I just felt like I was being outplayed. I was being outmaneuvered by my peers. So I eventually switched over. And then it was like CDJs 
up until the whole laptop thing started to happen. And um, eventually I, I did, you know, I did the CD thing. I burned CDs and I put labels on CDs and like that. Like I dedicated myself to these methods whenever I switched over to oh, them. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of places didn't have room for two CD decks and two turntables and, and this, that, and the other. Tur- you know, turntables just kind of became a pain in the ass. No one wanted to deal with them at the time. So then the laptop thing came around, and I bit into that, uh, shoot, probably 2011. So this is recent. I was still, um, I, I started using Tractor, and um, I really liked the ability to, I really liked organizing my stuff, right? So that was like really, um, really attractive to me. Seeing the waveform, organizing my stuff, I felt that I could concentrate more on the mixing than I would have to worry about looking for stuff. I didn't want to waste time looking for stuff. I didn't want to waste time beat matching, which is really just a technical skill. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you could teach anybody and, you know, you can't teach musical taste really, but you can yeah. you can teach beat masking. So to me, it wasn't that important, mm-hmm. you know. So if I could just get rid of all that BS, concentrate on my mixing and my programming and my track selection, I thought that would make me a better DJ. And I did that for three years. And even my first gig here... In Denver, I was still playing on a laptop, which was December mm. of what, 2013. What gig? Where was that? I had opened up for a monologue at NORAD. This was upstairs. Oh, shit. I was there. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> That's and, funny. Yeah. So, and then it actually helped. There were guys playing vinyl here. And, you know, it just really, I started to think about it. And I, the computer started to have problems. And it became... Over those those computer years, I wasn't playing with my peers as much as I was in the past. You know, back when we started our DJ crew, everything was really exciting, and we were playing together every weekend. We were there was an after hours party, you know, every two two days a week, and we were DJing, you know, up until ten eleven in the morning, and that's what we did for years. And that kind of tapered off as we all kind of became more professional, and we didn't really DJ in our spare time as much. It was more focused on the gigs and stuff like that. So anyway, now when I came back to when I or whenever I moved to Denver and I started playing with people who were playing more on turntables and and CDs and uh, you know vinyl started to become attractive again because it, at this point it has been so long since the vinyl DJ was the norm. Mm-hmm. It kind of became a skill that not many people have nowadays. Mm-hmm. So then it became cool again, right? So now, and I could still, I still had my records, and I could still play records. So then all of a sudden, I was, I was looked at with a little bit of respect, just because I had records and just because I had vinyl. So that to me made me feel a little bit special. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, I guess vinyl really is kind of cool. And then I played a couple times, and um, you know, it felt really good to play again. And all I had to do was just take my records to somewhere. And I could play with someone. And all we yeah. had to do was throw it on a record. I didn't have to hook up an audio box. I didn't have to worry about a laptop. I didn't have to worry about a crashing. And uh, I actually played a gig at B-Port. And uh, I was working night shift. And I was really tired. And I showed up to this gig. And I'm the only one in this office playing. And it's like the, the lights are on you. There's a camera right in your face for this B-Port live thing. And I'm sitting here with my laptop. And I'm like not doing anything. Because especially when I know what tracks I'm going to play... I, I can think about, you know, I mix a track and then I say, oh, this will go good. And then I'm ready to play another one. And, you know, I then I'm standing around the whole time. And being on camera, standing around, you know, I 
I just look like I'm bored up there. And it kind of, I am bored, especially when there's no crowd to take any energy yeah. from. It just, I just realized that like that shit is just not exciting to me anymore. And so now my mixing might not be as good, but, uh, I mean, it's just, I'm having a lot more fun DJing yeah. now than I did. You're having more fun, which is, yeah, yeah I'm just way more engaged deal, and involved right? with what I'm doing. I care more. I get a lot more nervous, you know? So it's just uh, so now I'm back to playing records yeah. and on the USB sticks and and that's kind of like I can play my digital tracks yeah. and I still buy records and it's really just become pretty good. Yeah, I, I've recently pretty much switched to USB sticks on CDJs and mm-hmm. it's just like oh my god, not having to burn CDs anymore. Not having to burn CDs uh, is freaking great. <laughs> I, I spend so much money on CDs and I bought this printer that can make labels and then you're carrying around these CD books. You know, and I had to make doubles of all the CDs if I wanted yeah, to mix the two exactly. together. It was, yeah, that was a whole thing. I mean... They, with, cor- they corrode after time yeah. and scratches and... Uh, the USB yeah. thing is really nice and records have persisted. You know, mm. records are still just a beautiful thing and yeah. I I have refound, rediscovered my respect for them. Yeah. So And a lot of times you'd have to, you'd burn a CD... And then you'd have to go through each individual track and kind of fast forward because sometimes burners aren't reliable. And like your track might skip and then you've never, you burned it, but you didn't play it live. And then you go and play yeah. and, and there's, yeah. there's a corrupt and it, it messes up and you're like. And for whatever reason, records just have that cool factor. Like if a record is scratched or skips or whatever, I don't know. I'm way less embarrassed about that yeah, than yeah. I am about an audio dropout or a CD exactly. skipping or something like that. Yeah, Exactly. So yeah, I mean, we're kind of talking about this now. So you moved to Colorado in November of 2013. Yeah. Uh, what What made you want to move to Colorado? I was prepared for this question. I'm asked this question a lot, and I I think um, I was just in Pittsburgh for so long. I just wanted to know what it was like not being in Pittsburgh. You know, m- my life had gotten into a bit of a cycle, a routine, in a couple of different ways. And um, I was feeling as though I I was just kind of on a hamster wheel, so to speak. And I needed a fresh perspective. And uh, so that's what I did. I picked the low-hanging fruit, which was Denver. I already knew people here for for years. My company was based out of here. So it was like, you know what? You know, I, was, I wasn't getting along with people where, where I worked. I wasn't making any progress in my, in my day job career. Hot Mass was great. But it, it, it was great for a year. And, you know, when you do events for so long, it's hard to really imagine that they're really going to progress to the next level anytime soon. I, I just kind of wanted something different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and, um, you know, I got it. And now that I'm here, it definitely refreshed my perspective of things back home. You know, looking back, it's, I'm actually really pretty proud of what, you know, we accomplished back home and what Aaron and the crew is still maintaining and what Pittsburgh is maintaining. You know, they're very, Pittsburgh's very confident. But every city's a bubble. And, you know, I wanted to see what it was like outside the bubble. And every time yeah. I visit a city, it's like that city's the center of the universe, you know. Unless it's Berlin. Then you got all these cities and all the techno DJs believe Berlin is the center of the universe, but you know, I'm just uh, now that I, I've uprooted myself, I'm kind of just feel like I'm floating in space at this point. I'm just, I don't really know what I'm doing now. 
I'm just out there to discover things. I don't know what is going to happen. That's pretty cool to say that at 33, though, man. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have friends out here, but how did you get involved? My friends out here, we were connected through music, so that helped. And coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, we had actually booked John Templeton a few years ago for a rooftop party in Pittsburgh. And... Um, you know, he, I don't even know how we stayed in touch, but, you know, I called him before I moved out here. I was like, dude, you know, I, if I'm going to move to a different city, I can't really live a life without being involved with music and you're doing GATF and, uh, you know, he's done some other one-off parties, which are really fun. He did some stuff at the wood shop, which I, I've been to the first wood shop, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, dude, you know, I'd really like to come out and be a part of things. You know, Kate Lester was out here. I talked to her too. So really between Kate, John, my friends, Jared, Doc, Kelly O'Mara, um, they all were just like, yeah, just come out here and you can do stuff and you can be involved. And, you know, I, I, I was definitely being, I definitely remember being more weirded out last year because I didn't want to be this guy, this, you know, freaking promoter, DJ dude who rolls in a new town and, and tries to step on toes or, you know, be, become uh i don't know just try to be mr new cool guy trying to do shit i really want yeah, to just yeah. be be well integrated and and support what is going on here yeah, you know there's denver has humble. a lot of yeah every, every, very humble now, you know every too. every city has a long history right long before i discovered it and uh you know i want to make sure i contribute to it as opposed to show up and then try to take from it you know mm-hmm. what i mean so, uh, John had, you know, I joined John's team and have been doing my best to help him, uh, bring in the music that I love. I'm really just trying to support the music that, uh, that I like and mm-hmm. I want to see, I mean, America's still really tough, especially if you only like certain artists and maybe certain style of music and you're not seeing it, you know, it's tough to get, uh, that stuff in America. So whenever you see people doing, you know, anything remotely like that, you know, I try to gravitate toward that and try to support infrastructure that already exists instead Mm -hmm. of just come here solo and naively you know just try to start shit on my own (laughs) what up yo yeah (laughs) yeah uh how does it compare to pittsburgh the scene here do you think it's actually well it's similar but it's definitely bigger and i feel as though um dance music is much less taboo here dance floors uh fill up quicker than i remember in Pittsburgh, and there's a dancing happens sooner. I think I think people are a little bit more open minded here, um, and uh, there's there are certain levels to the scene here that I that didn't seem to really exist in Pittsburgh. It's like you you kind of see remnants of it. What I'm talking about is you have these really underground crews, right? That that is everything's DIY. They have a thousand dollars for their name, maybe. You know that they're borrowing for, to throw the party, and uh, you know it's a very esoteric music selections, and they're struggling to get 100, 150 people, which mm-hmm. still can happen here. But out here, you get there's the the circle opens a little bit, and then you have these other um, man. Without talking specifics, I guess for instance, you have like Dirty Bird, right? Mm-hmm. Classic example. Colorado loves Dirty Bird. That place fills 
venues out here, or that place, uh, that crew fills venues out here that would not happen in Pittsburgh. They're like, there aren't enough people to like Dirty Bird to where you can just do a Dirty Bird party every three months and then have hundreds of people go to the party. It's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So there's just, there's like a level between mainstream and underground here that doesn't exist in Pittsburgh. Like in Pittsburgh, it's it's underground, and then you have some kind of mainstreamy people who are aware of dance music, and they kind of go to it. Mm-hmm. But here, there's an actual, there's an entire music scene of people that they don't, I mean, it's not, it doesn't feel like a top 40 bro crowd, but it definitely does not feel like an underground techno crowd. Mm-hmm. It's just something else that is new to me. And, uh, you know, it's some people think it's bad, some other people think it's good. I think it's just fine, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just the way it is here, and I'm I'm actually proud to see it. I mean, to see all these acts, there's so many freaking acts that come through. You can't Denver. Even keep up with it. Man. You, I it's cannot keep up with ridiculous. it. Yeah, I cannot keep up with it. And uh, just the the amount of music alone, just you can see these these bookings would not be happening if if the money wasn't there to support it. And that's just it's just plain as day. That's that's all you need to look at. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely more robust. For sure, for sure. I think uh, location might have something to do with. That. I don't really know. Well, you know, I'm not a mm-hmm. sociologist or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just a little bit more about uh, Great American Techno Festival. Uh, so, what what kind of role do you play in the crew? Uh, I don't know. I just help out with whatever. Um, you know, John spearheads everything. John Templeton. He it's his money. It's his idea. Uh, we collaborate on who we're going to bring. Um, everything's his final decision, but uh, we, we collaborate on who, creatively, who we want to see, uh, who we're going for, um, who who we think would would fulfill our ideas artistically, the music that we, that we really like and we want to see, but also we want to get people in that, that kind of really value events like this like GATF really isn't that big of a festival mm-hmm. right now you know uh, at least not last year this year it's sort of boutique I guess that's like a buzzword last couple of years but um, you know we want uh, artists who just still really love what they do and don't play a thousand gigs a year and um, but also bring a lot of creativity and heart to the table yeah. and uh, but you know for the festival I, I just help with logistics and operations i mean there's not really one hat that i'm wearing with that there's mm-hmm. only a few of us kelly o'mara and veronica lamock who you know both do um an obscene amount of work to help make this happen yeah. it's just really just a collaborative effort nick wilson as well uh so it's yeah there's not really one specific job you can call me operations you can call me production manager but i mean i don't you know whatever squire yeah i mean you know i help you know just from start to finish, we all work together to Word. to do everything. Cool. So. Uh, so you've been involved for the past two of them. Yeah, two years. When I moved here, you know, I started to help John plan for 2014, and we executed that. And uh, we're planning for this year as well. Awesome. Yeah, and this year will be its final year. So it's its final year. Yeah. Cool. Uh, any any uh, sneak peeks or? Ideas nothing, that you have? Nothing yet. I think we really liked the idea. John, a couple years ago, uh, booked Jeff Mills, which is an amazing booking, at Beta um, for the whole night. So Five played, hours, yeah. He played from 9 to 2. The, the floor was his. 
creatively, I think uh, that doesn't happen often, and I think it needs to happen more often, especially from um, artists who are able to to really make that magic happen for the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think people don't understand how good a night can be whenever you give full artistic control to someone who is able to do it. So I, I think we've kind of toyed with the idea of getting someone who can do that again and doing a big night of beta. Mm. And we're going to do a big, you know, after hours night on both Friday and Saturday. Um, so that's that's really it. Last year we didn't do beta or a big nightclub, but I think this year we're going to have uh, one, you know, it might break out into two. We're still formulating things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think it would be really cool to have another DJ do their thing for five hours at beta then we're going to do an after party and then the next day we're just going to do one big long party all night um and uh but it's all in the works i mean you know it's not too crazy of a format but uh, right now it's really we're just it just comes down to finding the right people and we definitely want we want uh american talent you know he kind of admittedly painted himself into a corner with the name Mm -hmm. uh but that's not a bad corner to be in. You know what I mean? I think uh, I think there's a lot of uh, really talented artists in America, and mm-hmm. especially the unsung guys should have some time to shine. Uh, so that's really loosely based our idea. I mean, we'll see yeah, how it all, yeah. all pans out. Cool. So. Do, do they have a weekend set for it yet? That would be the second weekend of October. Most oh, definitely. okay. Yeah, that's that's already set in stone. So that'll be, I think it's like the 9, 9 10, 11, October 9, 10, 11. It might be eight, nine, ten. I don't know. It's it's right around there. For look. sure. Yeah. I think, yeah. It's eight, I think it's nine, ten, eleven. But yeah. Did you play last year? No, no. It's. I don't know if it's a faux pas to play. Maybe, maybe not. I don't really know. But the amount of shit that we got to deal with during yeah. a festival, I don't even want to think about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess <laughs> makes sense. Man. I mean, it really depends. I mean, if we had a lot of help or whatever, and it being last year, I mean, if that were made, I might consider it that sort of thing it just feels weird you know i mean i guess i've played my own i've been on my own lineups before in the past but i don't know it's yeah it's, it's a weird enough going on it's know. a weird subject yeah and like yeah. i said you know i there's work that i could be doing that i need to be there for while my time slot would occur you know what yeah, I mean? yeah so and you couldn't fully mentally dedicate yourself to yeah it's hard to sound yeah. like you're pretty uh very focused when when it comes to you have to be particular yeah yeah yeah, yeah you have to be eccentric i guess yeah and you know there there's contingency to worry about i mm-hmm. mean anything could happen at any time yeah. during an event in the festival more so because if something happens on a friday it could really screw up the whole rest of the the programming and uh yeah there's just uh you're on high alert i mean it, it ten, there's high tension during even just when the whole weekend's on you mm-hmm. and and your mates it's you know yeah, it's hard to think about a DJ set and really commit yourself to it, you know. So yeah, you don't want to be some guy up there, you know, with his head in the clouds when you want to DJ. Give, yeah. give someone who's, the, the, who's ready yeah. to perform. Especially you know? at a festival like that, the audience deserves one hundred percent. Exactly. Of your, yeah. One, yeah. Of what you have, and if you yeah. can't do that, they like, didn't want some dude preoccupied thinking about, yeah. you know, I don't know. Exactly. Did, did, did we order enough porta potties or something? <laughs> yeah, it totally makes sense. All right. Well, 
Man, we've we're pushing that hour and fifteen minutes here. Sorry about <laughs> no, sorry about no. that. You get me rambling. No, it happens. All that. It happens. It happens. It's, <laughs> that's how conversations go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, well, uh, this is kind of the last section, and uh, we call this the, the best and worst uh, sequence. So we're gonna go through a couple different things, and you kind of just give us your the best and worst uh, a version of of what of those. Uh, Okay. Categories, I guess. Okay. Uh, so first off, yeah, what the, what's the best set and the worst set you've ever played? This is, this is a, uh, so in general, choosing the best or worst of something has always a, been a difficult question, just mm-hmm. in general. Um, I can tell you times I remember that we're good and maybe not so good. <laughs> so where where should we start? Where where are we at again? Uh, uh, the, set you the ever... best set I've ever played. Okay. Uh, I guess the most recently that I remember, uh, which was I had a really good experience. Technically, maybe. I don't remember if it was the best set or not. But um, it was at our night, Hot Mass. And um, it's actually an interesting night. Uh, earlier that evening, I had played at a party in Cleveland. I had opened for Kyle Geiger in oh, nice. Cleveland. And then that night, I was scheduled to play after Jamie XX at our hot mass night so you know it was just a really exciting night for me to have two gigs in the same (laughs) night number one and you know they were both pretty cool gigs so you know i I drove back and uh i I show up to the hot mass gig and uh this is probably like 2 30 in the morning probably because i left right after my opening set in order to make it back Mm -hmm. and um jamie was just just finishing up and you know that place was packed i mean it uh, this was uh end of 2012 maybe sometime 2013 i don't remember the year exactly but he was he's pretty popular i guess and hot mass isn't that big the venue so the place is packed and and nobody knew where i was because i was up playing the other gig so it was you know getting up to close to a half hour i think i went on at three and um you know i walk in and people were like ecstatic to see me you know what i mean i felt like a boxer or something i was like (laughs) fighting up to to get to the booth and you know people were like you know, my friends, and they were all loose at that point. They were, like, pushing me and cheering me and, you know, throwing <laughs> beers in my face and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's like playing your entrance music. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah you know, it's... They're uh, um, not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it, it was really funny. It felt it felt really good to be welcome like that. And, uh, you know, he, he was playing his music and, um, you know, and I, and I got on and people were, like, really, really stoked to see me play. And... Whenever you walk into a crowd like that, you can just feel the energy in the room, and it was so easy to do well at that point. And from the first track on, uh, for the next two hours, it was just like, it was awesome. They were with me the whole time, and and it was just, uh, people were screaming, and like you got, you know, whenever you imagine you listen to these records that you buy, and you imagine the reactions that you're going to get, and it's like, every single one got what? you imagine people should be doing this is how the record was designed what it was designed to do mm-hmm. and uh, they were just they were primed up i mean he he did <laughs> he did the heavy lifting for me you know mm-hmm. what i mean so uh that that was just it felt really good um to be able to follow a, a high profile act people still wanted to see me people still stayed and and it was just a blast so mm-hmm. yeah i had a really good time fuck yeah man yeah and I guess what do I I got to do the opposite of that? Yeah, right? the yeah. worst one. Uh, this one um, is a little bit harder 
to think about because I've never really had any true disasters that I can remember other than just pretty mediocre or poorly mixed or poorly attended sets. Uh, I had opened for Matrix one time in Pittsburgh. I know it was in April. Maybe it was 2006. At a club? Yeah, it was at a club. And um, I just sucked. <laughs> I think it was even recorded that night. And I listened to the recording. And most of the recordings I saved, I might even still have it. But it is just really bad. Like, the mixing was bad. The records I bought were bad. I was in this period. There was like kind of like a minimal period. And oh, yeah. It, was, it just sucked. I mean, I... Uh, I don't know. Usually I can find some redeeming qualities in sets, but it was just bad. <laughs> That's pretty much it. You know, I wish I had some more more of an, uh, an exciting story. I'm sure I really screwed up. And I, there's definitely been times where, you know, I've lifted the needle up off the wrong record and You're I've had an audio drop out before. But, you know, as far as bad bad experiences go, I just I just really sucked that night. So. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All right. So best and worst uh, musical performance or DJ sets you've seen or biggest dis- disappointment like something you were super excited yeah. to go to and they ended up sucking um, disappointment's a little harder maybe I'm a little too easy mm-hmm. but uh, I guess well first of all as far as best sets you know best or worst it's really hard to remember my memory's really fresh but Orphix at Community was fucking badass and they were amazing. I've loved them for for years, for a long time. The year that I moved here, our crew had actually booked um, Orphix in Pittsburgh in December, and I missed them then. Mm. But they, those two played just an incredible set at Community. And it's, it's just live. It's a lot of it's improvisation, and you can you can feel that in the set. And their music is powerful. What it's year exactly was that? I want to hear. This was this year. This was oh, like weeks ago. Damn it. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, it feels kind of cheesy listening to something so recent, but like I said, it's fresh in my mind. They just, they were really on point. That was just a good night overall. Was that at crazy. the, uh, that was at the parkour a, place? Yeah. 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 Fucking love party in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could tell you others. I, I thought, I thought of a couple others, like the Kirk DiGiorgio set at Hot Mass, the first time we did an after hours there. It was melodic and it was funky. It was, that was just really good. He played, you know, all night and... It, that was really a, a magical time. Um, there, there was a time where uh, Marco Carolla had played for us at the club, and then afterwards he came down in, in our buddy's basement. Oh shit! And that was that's, that was that's one of my all time favorite memories. Dude, he's yeah. been he's been a staple the past couple of years at Detroit. Him on that fucking main stage, Marco Carolla. Yeah, I mean a lot of a lot it, of stuff man. that he plays now for me is very big room tech house. Yeah, running. yeah. And he played for us in 2010, and he played the nightclub that night, and it was pretty good. And that's when sort of like he he was playing definitely more minim- tasteful, minimal sound, very good drum programming. He's always been very good uh, about his drums. And uh, yeah, after hours there was my friend Billy's place, and he had like a deaf child sign, you know, like one of those triangle road signs. So we always we called it the deaf child area. That was like our name for this because he threw after parties in his basement. It was like a big basement, and. Uh, Marco Carolla went down there and, you know, someone was DJing and he just told him to move the CDJs out of the way. It's like, let me do what I do. And then he just went down there and he played till 10 in the morning. <laughs> he was on his knees. Like, there were like 15 of us for hours. And it was him. And he, uh, it, 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 yeah, oh, his, uh, 
his swagger and his attitude, it was like there was just something really, it felt um, very fictitious, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just the way he acted, the <laughs> shit that he did, he played incredible music. I mean, it wasn't, he didn't play minimal stuff down there. A lot of it had a lot of pads and strings and kind of soulful. Def, definitely you can tell he played appropriate for a basement to 20 people down there. Yeah. And we were just all just, <laughs> oh man. That That's was amazing. Awesome. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had, uh, in my basement in Iowa, I've had Frankie Bones and Woody McBride play, but nothing quite. I mean, they're they're good, but not, not like, just like, holy Yeah, fuck. I have a little bit more respect for Marco than those guys. I mean, yeah, like I yeah. said, I mean, it, it's been years since I bought his music, probably even since 2010. Mm-hmm. I don't really, I think he's kind of, I don't know. He's definitely gone where the money is, as far as where his sound is. He he's definitely within the four to the floor tech house techno realm, but mm-hmm. it's not what he used to be, mm-hmm. you know. But that's that's his choice. That's cool. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was an amazing time. I'll never I'll never forget it. Yeah, for sure. Cool. And then yeah, is there a worst or the biggest disappointment? Disappointment. Yeah, that that's a tough one. Um, they're definitely disappointments. I've definitely had a lot of them. Uh, I don't know. I Stacy Pullen, you know. I remember seeing him when I was younger and went to the Movement Festival or uh, Demp at that time. But uh, and he played really good. And I think I remember seeing him recently. I think it was even in Detroit. I might have seen him play maybe in two thousand nine or something on a boat. He maybe killed it he last played. year on the. Made in Detroit stage. Really? Fucking really good. Really? Man. See, so I, I wasn't there, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, the last time I heard him, he played like Electro House, Big Room, Bullshit, ugh. you know. And it was like right around the time when the Electro House sort of broke into mainstream stuff. So there was like some people 2008-ish. Who, yeah, right around there. So that's what I'm thinking. It was 2009 and it was just like big breakdown. Not not techno at all, yeah. you know. And that that was a huge bummer. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. that's the only, the thing that comes to my mind now. I don't know. I'll yeah. send you an email. If I uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I think I think if you see him and I mean it's kind of warranted that he's going to be amazing in Detroit because it's maybe it's, it's I'm pretty sure league, this was right? in Detroit when oh, I saw really? it. Yeah, I Jesus told you. I, I think there the party was at 2009. We, it was on a boat. Carl Craig. I was on that boat too. Really? It was Carl Craig and who? who? I thought it was Stacy Pullen. Tagging with him. Maybe. Ooh, what was Danny Tenaglia on that fucking Logo Dice is on that Loco boat. Dice. Yeah, Logo right. Dice is on that boat. That's um, right. Yeah, yeah. No, I might not have been that time. Much, I just I, just I remember, remember being disappointed by the music on the boat. Yeah, I, I, mean, I the was, boat was cool. Carl Craig oftentimes has disappointed me. Mm-hmm. And I think my hype for him has maybe has gone unwarranted. I mean, I think he old te- you know, old techno heads will probably say by the time I started going out to hear him play, he was past yeah. his prime a little bit. Um, I think he's like a wild card because I know like at least one time I've seen him, it was amazing. But it's just like every time I see him, it's no, it's nothing like the last time I saw yeah. him. You know what I mean? It's always different. Yeah. Like I've heard him play super, super slow and strange. Yeah. But I've heard him bang it. Like that's you fair. never know with that's, him. That's he's definitely kinda, fair. He's kind of a wild card. Um, I think. I I feel like I am uh, am prey to the same. Same things, you know. Yeah, I definitely yeah. don't play the same thing every single time. So, mm-hmm. all right, uh, best best and worst festival experience, man. Uh, 
best festival is movement for sure. There's no question. Just mm -hmm. the uh, my history with it, its connection to Pittsburgh, its connection to my friends. I mean, there's it's just a no. Family reunion. It's a family reunion. <laughs> there's no. There's no question about it. Yep. Yeah. It, I've been inspired too many times. It's just the highest concentration of music that I want to hear every single year. Yep. Um, it's like the American techno New Year. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like New Year's yeah. every year. <laughs> it really is. You know, and there's I see lineups in Europe that, you know, look really cool, but I've never gone to them. I have gone to Movement. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. You know. Totally agree. Uh yeah, and then Worst Festival. <sighs> and I don't know. <laughs> There's been some American festivals that aren't even festivals that say they're festivals. Yeah. Probably one of those. I don't know which one they are. I've forgotten them already. Like a dirty little camp out somewhere yeah, or something? I don't know. Where's <laughs> festival, man? I don't really go to festivals that much. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, Communiki, um, I've, I've gone to Communiki, gone to Movement. Um, Mutech. Like, I've gone to Mutech. None of these were bad. Mm -hmm. And I would never want to call them the worst festival. Yeah, one might not have been as good as the other but they're all different mm -hmm. so i don't even i don't even want to mention them um and otherwise i don't honestly i don't go to festivals yeah so you how, how many times you go to wmc oh that's the worst festival i've ever been to <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's the one i went to in 2005 yeah just once definitely yeah, yeah just once mm -hmm. yeah i wouldn't say i had a bad time but it was not in comparison to these other yeah. festivals. Did you sure. go to Ultra? No, I didn't no. go to Ultra. Yeah. No. I went to a bunch of parties. I went to Bed Miami. That was actually pretty fun. But there are a lot of other venues that were packed. And the people, I mean, I think Miami kind of sucks. Just the people out there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just I mean, it's just a little bit more fratty. It's so expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. And I mean, I remember wanting expensive. to see James Abilia, and I paid the cover charge. And I got into the venue, and they didn't have a bathroom in the venue. And in order to, and the line was so long. In order to take a piss, you had to leave and then wait in line again. Drinks were fifteen bucks. Oh it was like, okay, God. this is terrible. You know what I mean? This is terrible. <laughs> this is the opposite of what I want. This is what I've been trying to get away from my own, my, my whole life. There's a bunch of you know rich ass you know bro dudes. Everyone's getting wasted. You know, girls all done up, gold diggers. I, I hate all those motherfuckers. So. I hear you. Yeah, just like one more question here. Where where's has the music taken you on the globe that you probably wouldn't have found yourself there otherwise? Uh, well, probably wouldn't have gone to Germany. I just visited Germany this year through the, the music um, just as a visitor. I wasn't booked or anything. Uh uh, Aaron and I visited Australia, and we wouldn't have been friends if it weren't us joining through the DJ crew, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, crap, other than that, I don't know. Those are the two furthest places away that I can think of. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Which were good shows, and did you see any shows in Berlin? Or? Oh, yeah. Uh, Obviously. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely the highlight. There's um very specific time window. There's a place called Ohm, which is oh, right yeah. next to Trezor, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. I like that. That felt very comfortable, kind of like a local's joint. Really smoky, but I liked it in there. I didn't feel intimidated. There wasn't this ego vibe running around there. The staff mm -hmm. was really cool. Um, Bergine, I had mixed experiences with, but ultimately the, my very last experience was the best, and that was my most memorable. Between 2 in the morning and 10 in the morning, Monday morning, Ben Clock had played, and that was one of the most incredible dance floors I've ever been on. 
Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just the vibe in that room, um, on that dance floor, and the whole place at that time felt different than the rest of the club had felt previous the previous two weeks. And um, it felt different than any club I've ever been in. As far as a club, I've been to parties that have felt like that. Yeah. You know, but uh, that was amazing. Yeah. And he's just a really solid DJ, which helped. Yeah. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Cool, man. Yeah. Well, shit, dude. We're we're at an hour and a half here. And you know what's fucking funny about this is that, as we said in the beginning, we haven't interacted much uh, before this. Yeah. And you you now hold the record for the longest podcast. That means I've just talked No, no, not at all. No, not at all, man. Like, (laughs) I I mean, it's flown by. And, I I mean, I've been absolutely interested. Maybe I talked more. No, it's been totally cool. I I just... That's... It's it's cool how that how this has played out, man. And cool. <laughs> and I know now. I, I I think we know a lot more about. Yeah. Well, I guess now, now I have some history cool. on tape, right? Yeah, so now, yeah. So now yeah. when someone asks me the same questions, oh, why'd you move to Denver? I could just say, you know what? Just go to this link. <laughs> just you can listen to my whole story right there. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally, man. <laughs> yeah. As if you weren't sick of hearing people saying, "Check out my SoundCloud." It's like oh. <laughs> now I can say that when people ask me where I'm from. Yeah, go to go to this. Throw me a like. Link. Yeah. Throw me a like. <laughs> so, uh, what what lies ahead for you uh, in the upcoming year? Dude, I don't know. Uh, June twentieth, I'm playing a really good gig. Uh, Templeton GATF is throwing that. It's uh, he's kind of done a couple of events that uh, called it. He's called them intimate evening events. It's going to be about 150 people. Ticket price is going to be a little higher, but there's this act coming in that. He and I both hold in high regard. We saw them play live in Berlin. They're absolutely incredible. And he asked me to open for them. And he and Carl Ritger are going to play as Coward uh, after them. It's going to be a really special time. So I'm really looking forward to that. that that's uh, June 20th. Are they and, from Germany, the act? No. Or I, Europe? I want to say no. I, no. I'm sure they're not, actually. I forget exactly where they're from. But they... They have. They are very talented, and they, um, they're, they're. They can get really creepy, um, which I like. And uh, it's just a very, you know, it's it's a great booking. Um, I'm excited that they're coming, and I'm excited to get to open for them. So I'm probably awesome. gonna try to play some weirder stuff, maybe some slower stuff. I'm gonna really, uh, I'm gonna really try to impress upon the fact that it's. Not just a, like a regular dance party when you show up. It's it's going to be a little bit more of an experience, a little bit more of a show cool. musically. But you know, it's going to be a bunch of bunch of good people in there. Hopefully, so I'm really looking forward to that. And of course, playing a hot mass in June. Uh, Sean Rudiman, who will be DJing for I think probably one of the first times. Uh, that's going to be exciting. That's you know home turf, and that's intimidating too because you know they get a lot of high profile acts through there now, and you know. Sean's got such a a big personality and reputation, and you know I I have no idea what, what I'm gonna what I'm gonna play that night. So, but I am I am excited for it. Yeah, uh, part of that yeah, that fear is part of what what <laughs> makes it good, right? So, well, we got plenty of shit going down before then. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of inspiration is coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Any any travel plans or other gigs? Uh, no other gigs. Those are the only two I can think of. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm going to Movement uh, Detroit, then to Montreal, and then right to Pittsburgh. So that's bam, bam, bam. 
and then I'm coming back, and then I think I'm going to go to After Hours Anonymous Copper Mountain deal. Oh yeah, yeah. I've never yeah. been to Copper I've, Mountain. I really uh, hear it's beautiful out yeah, there. Yeah, I so. had a I had a nice ski pass there this year. So cool. I yeah, I'm thinking that that's going to happen yeah. for me this year. It's yeah, I mean, I kind of want to do everything. You yeah, know what I mean, I <laughs> I do not discriminate as, as long as it sounds mm-hmm. moderately fun. Yeah. So. Uh oh. Also, um, I guess I'll just ask you on air. Yeah. But uh, the next podcast we're gonna be making the big announcement of uh. A renegade party that is happening on July 10th through the 12th. I won't say much more about it, but uh, okay. If you would like to play, I would love you to. Sure, come I mean, and play y- this you show. haven't heard me yet. I mean, maybe you should listen to me play. But, <laughs> you know, uh, well, you haven't ate my cooking yet either. So. That's that's true. I might be dead before you get to play. That sounds good. Uh, let's let's talk about it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, just July 10th through the 12th. Big announcement. You uh, said this is a renegade party. Yeah. Yeah. Say? Okay. Not 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 much more information being released yet, but uh, well, that's, next that's podcast good. we're making the big announcement and cool. uh, super excited about that, guys. So, uh, yeah, we'll wrap this up. If people want to find you online, uh, where can they do that? You know what? They can find me on Facebook. Just my name, Paul Fleetwood. You know, they can friend me. I don't care. I'm not like. I'll just if if someone hears this and they want to become my friend because of it. I mean, what what better reason? Why not? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Or you know, there's SoundCloud. It's just slash Fleetwood four one two, and uh, that's pretty much it. Cool. So fuck yeah, man. Uh, what can we expect from the mix? I don't know. I just uh, you know, I I kind of told myself to not really think about what I'm going to play too much. Uh, you know, I played last weekend, and I'm getting used to. Like, I threw together a new cart, and I knew I was going to be playing records. So I'm kind of just going to be playing uh, out of whatever I just kind of threw threw together on my USB stick. Cool. So, um, well, yeah, man, looking forward to hear it. Yeah, he's. Uh, we're gonna have him get on the CDJs here at the the old apartment H208, and I'm gonna cook us all dinner. So uh, I wish we could uh, hook you guys up with some of the food, but that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man. Uh, really cool to get to know you here on the air and uh yeah i'm excited to hear you play and yeah, thanks again absolutely. for coming on thanks this for podcast, having me on. brother but yeah, for sure and uh yeah without uh further ado here we go with paul fleetwood in the mix
Thank <laughs> you. 
just like that, 10 episodes down. Big thanks to Paul for coming on and being a guest on the show and for laying down a sexy-ass mix. As many of you know, this week is movement in Detroit, and I'm about to hop in a car and make the 20-hour pilgrimage. Hope anyone else going has a safe trip there, and we look forward to seeing you at the usual spot. Front left.